Welcome back to Terra Stories, News from the Field. In this series, we share the stories of conservation warriors fighting to protect and preserve the Earth's most precious resources and how innovative green technology and solutions are being used to create and support sustainable economies worldwide. I'm your host, Kim Langbecker. Um, I'm really excited to introduce everyone to Laura Anthony, who is uh, our Terra Conservation Initiative Conservation Fellow. And Laura is going to be taking up some of the mantle of the podcast host and really focusing on what young people around the world are doing in the world of conservation and working to really make um, sustainable and renewable technologies an integral part of conservation efforts. So welcome, Laura. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about your background, because you have a, a really interesting kind of perspective. You, you talk a little bit about how you're sort of between cultures. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I, I guess it comes down to how I grew up. I grew up as a Brit living in the U.S. and living in Switzerland, where I spent most of my formative years and then also living in the U.S. So from a very, very early age, I've been living between cultures, and I think it's really helped me to craft this idea that while no one nation or country tackles complex issues of climate change and sustainability to the best degree, um, there are elements from all different countries that I've lived in and that I consider to be from that do things well. So I think, you know, for example, in the US, they have amazing national parks and a lot of funding is going to national parks and it's great for tourism and local economies. Whereas in Switzerland, um, it's less privatized in terms of national parks, but everyone is encouraged to do their bit to really promote sustainability and a sustainable livelihood. So it's really, I find it interesting bringing together all these different pieces to really craft this unique view on conservation and sustainability. And also I've spent significant time in Kenya and in East Africa, which I think has helped shape this view that community driven conservation is really critical. And I think it's the future of conservation in places such as Kenya. And that's why I'm excited with TCI to really bring about change through these partnerships and through this collaboration. And for those of you that don't know what TCI is, it's Terra Conservation Initiative, so you might hear that acronym again. Um, I tell, Talk to me about, I think we hear it a lot, but maybe we don't really understand what it means to, um, when, when you say community-based conservation, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so for me, community-based conservation is really focusing on local communities, local economies, local people, and to really understand and get to the root of what is it they need? What is it that um, creates their livelihoods, for example? What is it that drives their involvement with sustainability? Is this based on the technology they have available? Is it based on a need to protect ecosystems and really understand what's driving their involvement? And from this to create systems around this community-based conservation, in which you are really benefiting the community. I think also it's critical to understand the community perspective because that is really how you get people to be engaged. So if, for example, through Terra, um, we're working on a project in Kenya, we're working very closely with the local 
um, Ma tech and Ma trust community because they are the ones driving this change and they are the ones that are driving the technologies. So for example, if they are off the grid and they need um, connection to electricity, to energy, if we work closely with them to understand what is it they're missing in terms of these technologies, in terms of the access to, for example, solar electricity, we can look at ways to fundraise, look at ways to promote the <clears throat> expeditions to um, fundraise for these technologies and really benefit the local com communities, which will in turn encourage them to be more involved with these community-based projects and conservation and to really encourage that partnerships should be focused from a local um, initiative, a local level, and not just us sitting here coming in with our ideologies and our technologies and saying this is what will work we really need to have that be driven by the local communities to say this is what will work for us this is not working for us and from there we can leverage these partnerships to really ensure the success and the longevity of the technologies that we're looking at and i think when you work from that perspective the opportunity to really create long-term relationships is so much better it takes maybe a bit longer because you're having to earn their trust but in the long run you end up having a much stronger relationship would, would you agree oh completely and i think it's it's necessary you know we're facing these extremely pressing problems and global issues um you know speaking from a East African perspective, we're looking at poaching, we're looking at the destruction of ecosystems and habitats globally. And without focusing on things and involving as many partners and individuals and organizations as possible, there's no way we can face such extreme pressing problems. And then you, you know, you throw in the mix of COVID and these unforeseen um, global pandemics, you know, without the foundation and the communication and I think, you know, this global connectivity, we really won't be able to face up to the problems that we're seeing and that will only increase, you know, as populations increase, as climate change shifts. Um, so really it's, yeah, it's to be proactive. And I think, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about youth is because we do bring, I think, this proactive nature in terms of how we want to um, take the tools we have and really shift them into action. And I would say I, I want to talk more about that youth piece, because that's really where you're going to focus your interviews and your, you know, highlighting um, great organizations and, and great young people around the world. But how does that intersect with uh, equity based work? Yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm really passionate about that, as you mentioned, that intersection. And I believe that that is something that my generation is really focusing on. You know, we read about equity based issues in the news and the pandemic has really brought some things to light. And I think a big concern I have is that community based conservation has to be rooted in creating equitable systems. And I think a lot of time and historically speaking, aid and philanthropy has not maybe benefited um, or created equitable systems. But to move more into the 21st century of philanthropy, of development, of aid, of these traditional terminologies, we really need to focus on introducing equity and making equity not something that you add to a checklist, that we have to you know, reach this equity outcome or reach this deadline or this goal, but to really promote equity throughout everything we're doing. And I believe that a way to ensure that is to really focus on 
local initiatives, local projects, local NGOs, um, work with youth, work with on the ground teams to ensure that we're not just implementing these systems, but that we're really driving these systems based on an equitable approach that is guided by local knowledge. Which I think, again, gives, when you're operating from that perspective, you're, you're creating relationships and trust that will benefit both parties in the, or whoever, however many parties are involved for the long term. And I think that when you talk about how a, a youth perspective um, contributes to that overview, it, it seems to me that young people today are, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't really remember what I was doing in my early 20s, but I can tell you I was probably not out advocating for these kinds of things because it, it just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't as necessary. I was focusing on, you know, being in college and, and, you know, thinking about my career, but I, you know, I'm watching really young kids, like 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, being out there really taking a stand. And, you know, of course, we saw Greta, who, you know, really rose to prominence. But talk a little bit about what you're seeing from from a youth perspective and and how that's playing into the shift that we're starting to see. Yeah, and I think it's a very interesting point to consider. And I mean, for me, a huge advocate has been Greta. I think when she said, I want you to get angry, it really resonated with me and a lot of my colleagues in this field because it's not getting angry in a negative way. It's getting angry in a way that we have to respond. And I think my generation, at least I'm a millennial, we maybe sometimes are angry with the fact we've been left with these huge astronomical challenges that maybe you know, arose from generations before us and we had no control over it. But there's no point, you know, blaming anyone or pointing fingers that we need to just take action. And I think the youth, um, we're mobilizing, we're looking at how we can use our tools, um, our collective action to really promote change, to focus on, you know, diverse concepts of leadership, of the environment, of society as a whole, and of development, and to really tackle these global uh, complex problems you know, seek these scalable solutions, um, reach out to as many communities as we can and really leverage the global connectivity that we have. I mean, previously, generations didn't have Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and social media, and they didn't have the ability to send a WhatsApp message that is received immediately. Um, I still find, I mean, all sometimes that I can be on the phone with someone who's in the middle of the Maasai Mara in Kenya. You know, generations previously did, didn't have this connectivity. And for that reason, it was, I believe, much more difficult to really see consistent and quick change. And I think youth perspective is that um, the world is a much smaller place in a way than it used to be, but it's also a very big place. And there is a lot of action that, it, that needs to be driven. And I think it's time that this generation gets angry, gets fired up and really says, okay, we're going to tackle these complex issues and it's not going to happen overnight. And it is sometimes intimidating and it's easier to just say, you know, I'm not seeing climate change in my life. Therefore, I don't need to worry about it because we are a global community and we are a global um, connected society. And we really need to step up and engage communities in far off places and to really, you know, look at systems in the Maasai Mara in Kenya and say, why are we seeing degradation of land? Why are we seeing 
um, communities that, um, you know, aren't able to create sustainable livelihoods because tourism is shifting and to get youth mobilized and interested and involved because I believe they are interested and they do want to be involved. They maybe just don't have the resources or the knowledge. But I think the youth through mobilizing, through social media, through really connecting, you know, we're able to bring these places, these far off places to everyone's lives and to really use social media to kind of focus on that and promote these um, these critical causes. And I also think that, you know, as you mentioned, it's a different toolkit that you're working with than, you know, people were working with even five, five years ago. And, you know, for certain 10 years ago, when you're talking about social media and being able to be connected. But I think there's also some low tech opportunities that, that people, that young people have, um, you know, we, we've had some opportunity to connect with the, the reserve of the youth land trust and that campaign that they did around the million letters, which if, you know, the young person didn't have uh, access to a computer, they could actually write a letter and take a picture of it and send it in. So I think, you know, it, it really does run the gamut from the social media piece, but also, you know, you, you, just because you don't happen to be, you know, have access to a computer or the internet, you can still participate is, and that to me feels like it's, it's really inclusive. You know, you, you, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be a, you know, a, a TikTok influencer or an Instagram star. You, you, you really can use the tools that you've been given. Yeah, completely. And I think a lot of the time I speak from a, a millennial generation, um, we maybe get looked at as people that can mobilize, but not necessarily create impact through funding. And I think more and more we're seeing that's not true. I mean, speaking with Reserva, highlighting how youth are driving these fundraising opportunities and all it takes is one youth member saying, okay, I have this idea. Maybe let's see, you know, throw it out, see if it flies. If not, maybe we, we come back to the drawing room, we readjust. But I think we're seeing that, yes, youth can be more inclusive in terms of fundraising, you know, not only promoting things through social media, but also coming up with ideas, mobilizing their friends, really getting people involved because I believe the passion exists. Youth are becoming more and more passionate about these causes because we have to be. There is no, I mean, it's cheesy, but there is no planet B. So we really have to act quickly. And I think youth more and more are realizing that we need to step up and mobilize. And yes, maybe we don't all have the inclusive, inclusive opportunities of technology, but we do have this drive that we need to see change happen now. And in order to achieve that, we really all need to do our bit to approach and to tackle these complex issues. I'm curious, you know, you talk about, and you said it's cheesy, but I don't, it, it is an accurate statement. There is no planet B. You know, when you think about um, the future, and, and I, I would imagine that there are some people that are out there listening that are like, eh, well, I, you know, there's nothing I can really do. I'm just one person. And, and, you know, the, the die has been cast and, and, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm in 60s, 70s years old, whatever it is, you know, there's sort of this, eh, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And you, you know, I'm looking at the the young generation of of, of the, the generation of young people coming up like yourself, and you've just said it, we don't have a choice. 
but how do you keep hope? Like, how do you stay positive and, and not lose faith when you look around and you see all these things happening? Good question. And I don't know that I have the right response to it, but I mean, yeah, I have days when it really gets to me. I went to graduate school to study conservation and I had days when you would read about um, the extinction of a species or of a language or of a culture. And it definitely gets to you, it weighs you down. But I think ultimately, I believe genuinely that everyone can take small actions and make small changes and create a ripple effect. You know, it's the, the pebble in the ocean. I believe to see real global shift, we do need to continue to encourage and to demand that politicians, that countries, nations, come together and put in place laws that um, mitigate some of these environmental impacts, you know, that ultimately on the world stage is what's going to have the most impact. But I do believe that each individual can have a say and can have an impact, you know, from, from recycling to, um, you know, closing the gap on fast fashion, things like this, I believe they do have an impact. And if anything, they change the way you think and the way you approach the environment. And I think that's so critical because, you know, I believe that we are not given these resources to use and to extract. We are blessed with these resources. We are grateful for these resources. And that's how I approach um, when I'm outside hiking. You know, I'm very aware of the fact that these mountains are amazing, but they're not here for our benefit and we need to learn to coexist with them. And I think, yeah, we don't have a choice. You know, we need to get angry. Um, we need to find the solutions. We don't have the solutions right now, but I think with the advancement in technology and, you know, that's what Tara is so driven by is this, this um, knowledge and drive to really hone these technologies to develop them and ultimately to get them into the hands of the people that can use them to the best of their abilities and to really hopefully tackle some of these small, large, mid-scale issues and really bring about some change. I'm wondering what brought you to Terra. What, I mean, there's so many opportunities out there for somebody with your background. What drew you to want to work with Tara? So I think I've always been involved with the Ma Trust, which is one of the partnering uh, founders for the Ma Tech initiative that Tara is involved in. And I think it was interesting to me to see it from different sides. So I began volunteering with the Ma Trust when I was, um, gosh, maybe 1920 during my undergraduate degree and you know i was exposed to how they function from a nonprofit side and then i was also exposed to how they fundraise how they develop their products and then once i graduated i was able to see it from the terra side so from the side that is uh, fundraising for these technologies that is looking to create partnerships and to leverage these partnerships so it's been really fascinating to see things from the side of a nonprofit and then the side of the partnering organization and to see how we can bring these different skill sets and these different capabilities together through this partnership to then facilitate, for example, the MaTech project, which is really a stepping stone, I believe, to implementing solar technologies and new technologies in a place like the Maasai Mara, which is thriving um, pre-pandemic with tourism and with uh, ecosystems and biodiversity. And I think it's been so fascinating to see how 
these partnerships are so fundamental in really leveraging technology, which I believe, you know, we mentioned how youth have to act and how youth will bring about this change. But I do believe it is a partnership with technology that's really going to see some amazing changes to uh, communities, to ecosystems, to biodiversity. And it's through technology that I really think we can achieve some substantial environmental impact. And I'm just curious if there's a a particular campaign or an issue or a call to action that you're really excited to highlight on the podcast. So for me and in my experience with Tara, I've been focusing mostly on sort of the community-based conservation projects. So the technology side, but also focusing and really working closely with our partner organizations. And I'm excited to see you know, specifically how MaTech continues to leverage these technologies to create these alternative sustainable livelihoods. So I know they've been looking into micro agriculture and mushroom farming and these small projects that women, um, community members can be doing at home to really create that alternative livelihood, which is so critical now that we have COVID and, you know, the lack of tourism. And also I've been focusing on a project that's kind of up and coming in terms of Tara's involvement with this, um, a series of medical clinics out in Fiji to really reach far off places and local communities and get them the medical attention that they need. Again, with the lack of tourism because of COVID, it's really caused massive destruction to these local economies. And as a result, you know, medical care has really um, been impacted. So I'm excited to see how we can fundraise, how we can reach out to community members, how we can really leverage these partnerships And I honestly do believe, you know, if we work together, we are much stronger than if we try and tackle these problems alone. Absolutely. And before we let you go, um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd really like to share about um, how you're creating your vision for the podcast that's going to focus really on young people's effort around conservation and, and sustainable and renewable technologies? I think for me, the thing that I find so fascinating and I really picked up when I was at graduate school is that there is no one response. There is no one um, component that's really going to fix or at least help in fixing some of these complex issues. So I am much more of a social scientist in the, you know, I I thrive on this community-based conservation, but we do need the partnership with the more scientific driven, the more data driven people. And I'm really excited to meet people that have such a broad spectrum of interests and experience and to really figure out how can we come together and collectively um, resolve some of these issues and really get youth involved. You know, we spoke to Callie from Reserva and it was really great to hear how they are partnering with sort of the social impact and getting youth involved, but then also conducting these Um, expeditions to really get a lay of the land and figure out, you know, the complex issues going on in terms of the ecosystems and the biodiversity. So I think it's so critical that we all come together and we use these different skill sets, these different knowledge, and really develop this, I would consider invaluable knowledge and skills in different areas that will enable us all to contribute to preserving our planet, our communities, and society, you know, at large at such a critical time. Well, I'm really, really excited to listen to your podcast and to um, get your voice out there and to bring in your contemporaries and to really share 
the amazing work that's happening all over the world. So Laura Anthony, I'm so delighted to have you here today. Laura is Terra Conservation Initiatives Conservation Fellow. She's in Switzerland at the moment, but uh, we're very much looking forward to having her back in the U.S. soon. And uh, thank you so much, Laura, for joining us. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Terra's conservation efforts and support this important work, please visit terraconservation.org or terrastories.bz. And please reach out to us at info at for questions, comments, or suggestions for topics. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.